Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'll be your host for Born to be Breastfed today and every day when we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. Now, as you know, I talk so many times in this show about the importance of exclusive breastfeeding. But today, I kind of want to flip that upside down as I talk about the opposite of exclusive breastfeeding, which is supplementation. So stay with me. I want to talk with you about how important this is for you and also how you can make sure that it really happens. I promise by the time that I finish today, you will know how this can be more than just a wish, but rather how you can make sure that if you want exclusive breastfeeding for your baby, you'll be able to make that happen for yourself. And let me take this opportunity to say thank you for joining me because honestly, without you, I don't have a show. So thank you so much for being here today. So I think that at this point in the year 2017, we have, I would say, probably more than 40 years, maybe more than that, probably more than 50 years worth of evidence, scientific evidence that shows that exclusive breastfeeding gives a healthy newborn his best start in life. This has been confirmed by multiple studies in multiple countries over many, many years. But often, it's the ideal. It's not the reality. Newborns, and older infants for that matter, often receive supplements when they're in the hospital. So let's take a step back here and ask, what's a supplement? Well, it's the opposite of exclusive breastfeeding. I will unpack a little bit of this for you here. According to the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, which, by the way, is an all-physician group, it is an international group, and this is what they say. They recommend exclusive breastfeeding for term infants, and they define the term infant as one who is at gestation age of uh, more than 37 weeks. Uh, Actually, let, let me read that to you exactly the way they say it. They say, in this protocol, term infant includes early term infants Parenthesis, gestational age 37 to 38 and six-sevenths weeks. Then they go on to explain that exclusive breastfeeding is feeding only the mother's milk, whether that's at the breast or if the milk has been expressed. No food, no water, nothing except vitamins, minerals, and medications. Now, on the flip side, they say that supplementary feedings are additional fluids provided to a breastfed infant before six months. That's what we're talking about because we're talking about just the newborn baby in the hospital. Uh, This 
is a recommended duration of exclusive breastfeeding. And these fluids may include donor human milk, infant formula, or other substitutes. For example, glucose water. Now, I was astonished to see this. This recommendation came out really just several months ago. I was astonished to see that they had included glucose water as a supplementary feeding because I thought, oh, man, do we even need to be talking about that in the year 2017? And the answer is, yeah, I guess we do because I hear that when I teach my courses. So I, I and I really kind of thought it was just me, but I guess it's not. So we really need to understand here Exclusive breastfeeding is only the mother's milk for the baby, whereas the supplementary feedings include any additional fluids that might be donor human milk or infant formula or any other kind of substitute. Now, you're going to say to me, and you would be right, you would be asking me, well, Marie, aren't there some medically indicated reasons for supplementing? Um, yeah, there is. And we're going to unpack that a little bit later. But I think the real question is, does supplementation happen in the hospitals only when it is medically indicated? No, that is not the the case. That is not the case at all. You would be surprised that supplementation is often given when it is not medically indicated. And I'm not sure that we have an exact number for that, but I will tell you that it is very, very common. Just to back me up on this here, there are two studies that came out that have absolutely shown how common it is. Bureau's study, and that's Bureau, Sutherland, and Yelland, which was published in Birth, that is the journal Birth, 2011, and another one was Bobin, I hope I don't mispronounce this one, it's Zechariah Garavich, and that was published in 2016 in Breastfeeding Medicine. So I'm not just making this up, okay? Yet, the indications and the recommendations are to the contrary, There are a number of organizations, and I'm going to articulate those a little bit later, but I want you to be aware that there are a number of organizations that recommend exclusive breastfeeding for the newborn who is healthy and born at term or as defined by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, and I uh, gave that to you a second ago there, that clearly say, The baby should have exclusive breastfeeding. I'm thinking of people like the World Health Organization, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the National Health and Medical Research Council, and certainly the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, as we've just mentioned. So then, you might say, good, Marie, I am on board. How do I know that that's really going to happen for my baby? I'm in. I'm committed. But how do I know that's really going to happen? Because I'm going to be delivering in a hospital, and I've heard hospital stories where they give babies supplementation when it's really not indicated. And I'd say, yep, you're absolutely right. And the research bears that out. Well, 
one of the things you could do is you could consider, and I want to be very clear now that I said consider delivering at home. You might consider delivering at a birth center. Or if you are going to the hospital, you might ask yourself, am I going to a hospital that has the baby-friendly designation? This is hugely important. You might be well aware that I was the president of Baby Friendly USA for more than a decade. So yes, I am absolutely committed to the Baby Friendly Hospital Initiative throughout the globe, but certainly here in America. I have given a good deal of my time and resources to support that effort, but it really does work. Why so? Because they very specifically say that a baby should not be supplemented unless there is a reason. So maybe, though, you're saying, I don't know, Marie, I'm not so sure that that's a good idea. I've heard some stuff about these baby-friendly hospitals. Okay, so I'm going to back up, and I'm going to tell you the stuff you've heard is likely to be a misconception. The Baby-Friendly Hospital Initiative was developed and marketed by the World Health Organization, and it was intended for only healthy babies born at term or close to term. So if you deliver a preterm infant or your baby has some sort of problem, then getting formula is likely to be medically indicated. So fear not, okay? Another misconception that's rolling around is that somehow parents are forced to breastfeed if they go to a baby-friendly hospital, and that's just not true, okay? Sometimes parents think that they're supposed to bring their own formula or buy their own formula, and that is also a misconception. That's just, talk about bust the myths and clarify the facts. Wow, this is a big myth, okay? However, the hospital does need to purchase the formula, And this is where you're saying, well, don't they purchase the formula anyway? No, they don't. They accepted non-baby-friendly hospitals, okay? Other hospitals, hospitals that have not gotten the baby-friendly designation. Those hospitals accept free formula from the formula companies. The hospital that has been designated as a baby-friendly hospital has to purchase their formula the same way that they purchase toothpaste and aspirins and toilet paper and everything else that you can imagine, okay? So I don't want you to think that babies are going around being deprived of formula. I don't want you to think that formula is forbidden. I don't want you to think that parents will be forced to make the breastfeeding choice if or, or guilted or shamed into it. That is just not the case. What I think I should be especially clear about here is that parents are given information about breastfeeding. And that information usually comes as early as the first prenatal visit. And that's so that parents can make an informed choice. The presumption is that parents, when they're given accurate information about the benefits of exclusive breastfeeding uh, for their newborn, and by the way, not to mention the benefits for themselves, their families, their wallets, their environment, the parents will want to eagerly pursue the idea of exclusive breastfeeding. 
So another thing that you might be wondering is, well, why is this such a big deal, this this early supplementation thing? It's because it interferes with the natural process of maternal supply and infant demand. This is a feedback system. Basically, the more milk that the baby takes through breastfeeding, the more milk the mother will have. And what we have also found from many studies over many years in many countries is that the when babies are supplemented with formula, especially in the early few days or the early few weeks, what happens is that mothers quit breastfeeding early in the game. This would be a wonderful place for me to tell you how important it is that babies get colostrum, and we'll be talking about that more certainly in a different uh, show, but I want you to know that today's show has been sponsored by Sweet Sips Colostrum, and I would encourage you to visit their website. That's SweetSipsColostrumSpoons.com. I'll say it again because I'm not sure I said it right the first time. SweetSipsColostrumSpoons.com. Give them a visit, and I will be right back with you shortly after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuzzo. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding and beyond. And today I'm busting the myths about supplementation for the newborn, especially during that hospital period. One of the questions that I do get is about this business of what is medically contraindicated. When would breastfeeding be medically contraindicated? Well, as you can imagine, it depends on who you ask. The World Health Organization has a very, very short list. But I will tell you what the American Academy of Pediatrics says. They say, and I quote, this is from their 2012 statement on breastfeeding. I'm quoting verbatim. The American Academy of of Pediatrics reaffirms its recommendation of exclusive breastfeeding for about six months, followed by continued breastfeeding as complementary foods are introduced, with continuation of breastfeeding for one year or longer as mutually desired by the mother and infant. Medical contraindications to breastfeeding are rare. That means rare as in a short list. So then, you might go to the World Health Organization and look at their list. It is short. If you are in the uh, United States, you might be looking to the Centers for Disease Control and what they say, which tends to be, in my world, a lot closer to what we're really doing. I say this because, as one of the many things that I do, I offer a certification for people who want to become a certified clinical lactationist, and I hold them to the standards of what is said in the United States, and for that, I emphasize the importance of the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, and they should know And anyone who is in a baby-friendly hospital is likely to know and likely to call out what the CDC says is a contraindication to breastfeeding. Notice what a short list this is, and I'm quoting verbatim. An infant diagnosed with galactosemia, a rare genetic metabolic disorder. Number two, an infant whose mother and these are bullet points, 
has been infected with the human immunodeficiency virus, that is HIV, is taking antiretroviral medications, has untreated active tuberculosis, is infected with human T-cell lymphotropic virus type 1 or type 2, is using or is dependent upon an illicit drug, is taking prescribed cancer chemotherapy agents such as anti-metabolism, excuse me, anti-metabolites that interfere with DNA replication and cell division, is undergoing radiation therapies. However, such nuclear medicine therapies require only a temporary interruption in breastfeeding. You might ask me, well, Marie, aren't there other circumstances whereby breastfeeding might not be a good idea? And I would say, you know, there probably are. But that is up to the mother and her primary health care provider to determine. But as And usually, by the way, that's a risk-benefit decision, and usually that is a temporary sort of situation. But as far as being really medically contraindicated, I've just read you what is a very short list, don't you think? So I guess you really need to get it in your head of when we talk about, oh, for those women who, I hear this all the time, I hear this on the news, I see it in the newspaper, etc. Oh, for those women who can't breastfeed, well, what on earth does that mean? Sometimes that's interpreted as can't because it's contraindicated. But as you can tell, that's a very short list. Okay, so then maybe by now you're with me. You say, okay, Marie, I get it. I get it. But aren't there some barriers to achieving exclusive breastfeeding? And I would say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there are. I could go back as far as 1984 when C. Everett Koop was the Surgeon General of the United States. He convened the first Surgeon General's workshop uh, uh, breastfeeding in my hometown of Rochester, New York. No, I'm not there now, but that is certainly where I grew up, where I took my nurse's training, where I worked for many years. Uh, And he said in 1984, we must overcome the barriers that keep women from initiating or continuing breastfeeding. We haven't done that yet. And that was how many years ago? So what are those barriers? First of all, let's have a little history here. In 1932, companies that manufacture artificial milk, what you might call formula, made an agreement with the medical community that they wouldn't advertise communi- that they wouldn't advertise formula directly to parents. Okay, great. But in 1988, the first year that we had the goals for the nation, the, now in 1988, those goals for the nation were drafted, but they weren't actually published yet. So these companies actually broke their pact with the medical community and they marketed directly to the consumers. That was something that the American Academy of Pediatrics very swiftly and staunchly opposed. However, 
advertising to parents, especially through the in-hospital formula samples, has been shown to be common. I just gave you uh, those two studies that show we're still doing it, and we're doing a lot. So in case you're wondering, yes, artificial baby milk business generates well over a billion dollars, at U.S. dollars in a year. And in fact, uh, we've got actually better statistics on that. I don't want to go into that today, but this is real. So what are some examples of that advertising? Well, for instance, those little ready-to-feed bottles that we give in the hospital. Another example would be those so-called discharge packs. I know, for example, that in some states like Massachusetts, those have been banned. In other states, not so much so. Another example would be coupons or sometimes just the formula landing on the mother's front porch or landing in the pediatrician's office, or any other number of places where formula is free. That means that this is an advertising effort. Now, what about providers? Well, yeah, that's a problem too, because providers either don't know, or they don't agree with these national and international recommendations that I've just given to you, these recommendations that are very much Evidence-based. We talk about evidence-based practice. Here it is. But there are a number of organizations and authorities that say that exclusive breastfeeding is not only adequate, but that it's ideal for the newborn. I talked about that early in the first quarter. So let me give you some common examples. Here's one that I hear very often. The doctor will say, well, the baby has lost too much weight or the baby might become dehydrated. I would be the first one. As a nurse, I've seen this. It does happen. Kids do lose weight. They do get dehydrated. I'm not going to blow that off. But I would also say it's unlikely that that's going to happen in a healthy newborn. Why so? And by the way, it's not only what I say, it's what the World Health Organization says. But one of the things that helps to clarify this is that human milk is about 87 to 88% water, somewhere around in there. But often, newborns in the first few days do lose weight. It's, it's not at all unusual, especially here in the United States where we give IV fluids to the mother. And you wonder, well, where's all that fluid going? you see that her hands are swollen, right? Her feet are swollen, her toes are swollen. Well, her baby is kind of swollen too because that fluid has to go somewhere. So I would say that before you roll over and give your baby formula supplementation or or let somebody else do it, you need to be asking a whole lot of questions. Here are some of the questions I would ask. I would ask how much weight has the baby actually lost? It's not at all unusual for healthy, full-term babies to lose, oh, say in the five to seven neighbor, five to seven percent neighborhood of their weight in the first five days or so. Is there a reasonable explanation that might help to explain the weight loss? First one I'd ask, is the scales accurate? Here's another one. Did the person who was weighing the baby know enough to weigh them correctly? By the way, have I ever made a mistake Weighing a baby? Yes, I have. Don't do it too often, but yes. Was the baby just plain weighed on a different scales? 
in one hospital where I worked, we had an upstairs and a downstairs scale. Well, you know, those are not necessarily uh, calculated, what's the word, uh, calibrated at the same exact uh, weight. Here's another one. Was the baby weighed naked or clothed? So not so much so in the first few days, but thereafter, the baby's weight is plotted on growth charts. So then I would be asking what the American Academy of Pediatrics warns about. They say, and I quote, infant growth should be monitored with the World Health Organization growth curve standards to avoid mislabeling of infants as underweight or failing to thrive. So those are some of the questions that I would raise. I would raise more questions. And on the other side of the break, I'll talk to you about those. I'm Marie Biancuto. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. 
To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Born to be Breastfed. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host, Ooh, I was almost tripping over my own name there, where we're talking today about supplementation, its impact on breastfeeding, and the sorts of questions that you should ask about why the baby is being supplemented. So I spent a bunch of time talking about providers and the fact that they might not agree with or they don't follow the recommendations about supplementation. Uh, one of the things that I often hear is, well, the baby is is dehydrated or has lost weight, so we busted that. Well, I don't know that that's a myth. I think we more clarified the facts. The next one I'd like to talk to you about is glucose water or what you might call or have heard referred to as sugar water. Now, as far as I know, that has never been acceptable or advantageous. Kids were given sugar water, mm, I would say, as early as probably about the 70s or so. I can't remember exactly. But we just did it willy-nilly. We saw the babies weren't satisfied, and we came to the conclusion, oh, well, they need something to be topped off with, as we used to call it. Actually, the problem was that we didn't know enough to help the mother to get the baby to have an effective breastfeeding. So was the baby getting enough? Well, probably not. But the use of the glucose water was not the answer, even though we did it. This is a completely outdated practice. There have been multiple, multiple studies that have shown the stupidity of supplementing with uh, glucose water. I'm thinking, for instance, that doctors used to think that giving glucose water would prevent or at least decrease newborn jaundice. But that was originally proven false in the 1980s. I'm thinking the early 1980s, like 1981 or 1982. I distinctly remember uh, reading Dr. DiCarvalho's study. One was in 81, one was in 82. And at the time, I was thinking, yes, here's the proof. We don't need to be doing this anymore. But honestly, from the time that we get the evidence until the time that we implement the evidence, mm, big lag time there, folks. But again, uh, some people believe that it will prevent or minimize jaundice. That's not true. It's totally a myth. So the next one might be that the American Academy of Pediatrics specifically advises against giving glucose water, and they've advised against that for years. And I was astonished to see that even in 2017, the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine specifically warned against glucose water. How about sterile water or what you might call plain water? Yeah, we used to give that too. But as far as I know, there is no medical indication for this. We used to give it because we wanted to make sure the baby could swallow. But honestly, Ask yourself, just in a simple way, should the baby have to prove himself to be able to suck a rubber nipple before he 
suckles a breast? And must he prove himself to suckle the sterile water, or, or suck, I guess, the, the sterile water before he swallows the mother's milk? No, because mother's milk is a physiologically uh, compatible, if you will, substance. Even if he aspirates a little, according to Dr. Ruth Lawrence in her book, which is sitting about eight inches from my elbow here, the eighth edition, Breastfeeding, a Guide for the Medical Profession. She says that mother's milk is a physiologic substance and if aspirated, is not harmful. That's not a direct quote, but I know that that's what she says in the book. Okay, so the... uh, Centers for Disease Control here in the United States spells out very, very few reasons for supplementation. I'm going to read you just a few. The infant with very low birth weight or those that are premature, we've already talked about that. That's not what the baby-friendly program is about. Infants that have certain inborn errors of, of metabolism. Infants with acute water loss that occurs during phototherapy or infants whose mothers require medications that are incompatible with breastfeeding. But again, I read that to you earlier. That's a very, very short list. So what are some other reasons, some other barriers? You know, honestly, there are some things that really seem very plausible. For example, the staff is busy. Oh, dear. Honestly, I've been in that boat myself. I know how it feels when I want to help that mother, but I really just don't have time. I got to do the right thing, but I got like 15 right things that I need to be doing. I will tell you, though, that when the baby is in a central nursery, that's not a good sign. Why so? Well, because honestly, when I'm the nurse in the nursery, if I have a really heavy assignment, even if I'm totally committed to breastfeeding, sometimes I can't get that baby out to his mother. So I think, or at least not quickly. So what's the solution to that? If the baby is rooming in with his mother, the mother has only one baby to watch to put to breast. So she can do that faster than I can. Now, the question is, how do you as the parent Start to overcome these barriers to exclusive breastfeeding. Number one, know your rights. You have the right to refuse any intervention or any procedure. So you could refuse being catheterized, for example, but you can refuse an intervention for your child. And in this case, it might be supplementation. Now, I would suggest that you get your facts before you just plain say no, but you do have a right to refuse an an intervention or a procedure. The American Hospital Association articulates several rights, including the right to discussing your medical condition, or in this case, your baby's medical condition, and information about medically appropriate treatment or choices. So to make an informed decision with your doctor, you need to understand, among other things, and I quote the American Health, excuse me, the American Hospital Association, you have the right to understand, among other things, quote, the benefit and risks of such treatment. 
Let's talk a little bit about what an informed decision means. It means understanding why your baby is getting this. Why? Because his glucose level is down, because he's jaundiced, because he's lost weight, because he's whatever. And then you need more specific information about that indication. You need to hear about the benefits. How is this going to help him to overcome this whatever it is? But here's the real clunker. In my experience, when babies get supplemented, parents are not told about the potential risks. You need to hear the potential risks. If you don't, you need to like be wondering, why am I not hearing about the potential risks? You should also be told about the alternatives. For example, in many hospitals, you can have access to uh, milk, that is from a donor that has been dispensed by the Human Milk Banking Association of North America. And by the way, I believe that's the case for Canada as well. I'm speaking as a U.S. nurse. And by the way, you can raise the question, so what happens if if the formula isn't given? Then what? What would be the worst thing that could happen? Be aware of what I call fear tactics. Drives me a little nuts when a provider says, it would be dangerous for your baby. Uh, what, what exactly is that danger? And make sure that that's not just a scare tactic. Next thing. Number two, become a strong advocate for yourself during the hospital period. The number one recommendation that I would give to you is uh, going to a baby-friendly hospital. But I'm actually not going to give that as the first recommendation in some senses because I would suggest that you go armed with a list of organizations that can recommend exclusive breastfeeding for your baby. Here's just mm, the first eight or ten that I could quickly type. The American Academy of Pediatrics, the Canadian Pediatric Society, the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine, the Centers for Disease Control here in the U.S., the World Health Organization, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and I will quote you what they say. They say, quote, the ACOG endorses the World Health Organization and UNICEF's 10 steps to successful breastfeeding. These evidence-based steps have been shown to increase breastfeeding initiation and duration, unquote. Another one that suggests exclusive breastfeeding for the baby is the American Family Physicians, uh, excuse me, the American Academy of Family Physicians, the American College of Nurse Midwives, and the list goes on and on and on. Yes, Australia, you have your own. Yes, England, I'm sure you have your own. I'm aware that there are uh, non-Americans listening to the show. So let's talk for just a minute about that business with Baby Friendly. The hospital needs to answer to you. What proof can they provide? And that would be their policy about infant feeding. The first question that you might raise is, have they been designated as a Baby Friendly Hospital? Good. That's great proof. But when a hospital says that they're going baby-friendly, 
I would they've been signed up for baby friendly. They have a certificate that they are trying to achieve the baby friendly. Okay. All of that is they're in the process. That's a good thing. But I will tell you that I've seen that run hot and cold. I've seen some hospitals that, in fact, really do hold to those principles and others who not so much so. They're not really there yet. So I would encourage you to put the onus of responsibility onto the hospital. Make sure that they can prove to you that, in fact, they are implementing a policy for exclusive breastfeeding. I'm Marie Biancuto. Hold on. We'll come back right after this short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you need breastfeeding training for your hospital staff? Maybe you need to offer all 15 sessions to meet the baby-friendly requirements. Or perhaps you need just a few sessions. Check out Marie's new course, Best Practices for Breastfeeding Management. It's perfect for improving your exclusive breastfeeding rates and helping staff earn contact hours. You know Marie will focus on the clinical outcomes, not just the training process. Marie's course offers the ultimate in flexibility and convenience. It's online 24-7 so staff can study at their own pace. You can use the course for all of your staff or just your newly hired staff. And Marie offers a tracking report so you can tell who has started or finished. Best of all, staff can print out their own certificate when they finish. Don't waste another minute trying to develop your own course. Trust America's leading breastfeeding educator to provide staff training that works. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894. 703-787-9894. And ask for your bulk discount. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash gooddonor. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. 
I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. Welcome back to our show today where we're talking about supplementation. It's downside, why it happens, the barriers which has have been in place, and some things that you can do to help yourself past those barriers. So I gave you a few before we went to break. I said, know your rights. Become an, a strong advocate for yourself during the hospital period. Go beyond what the hospital says they are. And now I'm going to go into the rest. And that is choose a primary health care provider who has a philosophy and a track record that supports exclusive breastfeeding. I think that this is sort of a true two-pronged kind of a deal, and I think you've got to do it really early in the game. You can't wait until you get to the hospital. You've got to check this out. Well, I would say certainly while you're pregnant, maybe even before that. Number one, who will you choose? Everybody seems to think that a pediatrician is the number one best choice for a healthy, well term newborn's care. I would say that a pediatrician is, by definition, a specialist. I'm sure that I'm overstating this case, and I'll have some pediatrician who's ugly with me, but honestly, there are many pediatricians who do not seem to know the stance of the American Academy of Pediatrics, which just blows me away. So if you're going to hire a pediatrician, make sure that you go in hand with the AAP statement because, and and there are studies that actually back me up on this, that some pediatricians are very, very aware of the other recommendations from the AAP, not necessarily the one on breastfeeding. So if you choose a pediatrician, make sure that he, A, knows about this statement from the AAP and B, really buys into it. One of the things that I would strongly suggest that you consider if you believe that you will be having a healthy, full-term, well baby is a family practice physician. As a group, I think that they are very schooled in low intervention. I think they really come from a standpoint of believing that all of us are healthy and need to stay healthy. They tend to be um, different in their philosophies. For what it's worth, I will tell you that my personal physician is and has been for many years a family physician. If you're sick, you need a specialist. Luckily, I don't. But there's a number of, of benefits that I would suggest for choosing a family practice physician, one of which is he can treat both you and the baby And if you run into something where, I'm thinking of yeast, for example, um, he can write a prescription for either one of you. So, you know, while that doesn't necessarily happen right off the bat, it's it's a nice thing to be thinking about. I would also ask you to think about a midwife. Midwives, again, tend to be fairly low intervention. They tend to be much more geared towards... uh, being able to write a prescription for you or for your baby if you do need one. Hopefully you don't. But in any event, let's talk about 
you choose somebody for your primary health care provider, your pediatrician, your family practice physician, your midwife, whoever you've got. Well, that still doesn't really tell you what their philosophy is exactly. So I would make a big pitch for having you interview this person during the prenatal period. I would ask the provider to give me examples of when he would be likely to supplement my newborn with formula. I think that you'll be able to tell by his response if he's over the top going to supplement every baby that comes along or if he's going to do a little bit more of a wait and watch, see if he's familiar. And by the way, the uh, American Academy of Family Physicians has their own statement on breastfeeding. The midwives have their own statement. They should be aware of these statements, but you should ask for examples of when they would supplement your baby. Here's another one. Ask about their track record for when babies are, uh, how many of their babies in their practice breastfeed exclusively until six months. If they don't know that number, maybe it's because they're not really watching it, which would be an indicator to me that they're not really interested in breastfeeding. Next one, educate yourself. Many mothers end up at the hospital where their primary care provider has practice privileges. Honestly, sometimes that might be a backwards way to go. Maybe you need to pick the hospital first. Why so? A baby-friendly hospital is going to implement ideal practices for breastfeeding. Here's another thing. The hospital that you go to, you might end up, let's say that the hospital that you go to has a hospitalist. You might end up not seeing your provider or not having your baby see your provider at all, or maybe only once or twice. Try to look at the kinds of things that you have control over. For example, you have control over whether or not you have medication in labor, and that could affect your breastfeeding experience. You have control over whether or not your baby has a circumcision. And I will tell you that babies, research is real skimpy on this, but babies' feeding behaviors tend to be less than ideal, whether they're breastfed or formula feeding, Uh, If they've had a circ. Next one, make sure that you have the opportunity and the the hospital provides the opportunity for skin to skin contact 24 hour a day rooming in. Next, make sure you have a strong advocate. And last week, or maybe it was the week before, I did a whole show on having a doula. And this would be one of the ways in which I would suggest that you actually do get a really strong advocate. So there are some ideas. I hope that some of these will be helpful for you. You've really got to be in control of your own experience in order to meet your own goals. But as usual, that's all the time that we have today. And I would like to thank our sponsor, Sweet Sips Colostrum Spoons. And I'd like to thank all of you for listening to Born to be Breastfed. And I'd like to invite you all to come back next week. Now, if you're interested in books or other media that is on uh, that we've talked about today, I will try to provide those links on my blog. If you have some comments, feel free to leave a question for me or for any of my previous guests. Please, by all means, visit my Facebook page. And if you appreciate this show, please like us while you're there. 
Now, if you're a professional and if you're looking for continuing education about breastfeeding and lactation, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice and education on the web and sometimes in your city. If you are looking to become a certified clinical lactationist, I offer that credential. Call my office at 703-787-9894. Or if you're looking to become an IBCLC, I offer courses in preparation for that. Again, you can call us at 703-787-9894 or you can visit us on the web. Those courses are available at breastfeedingoutlook.com. Again, if you're a professional, you'll want breastfeedingoutlook.com. If you're a parent, you will want to visit me at borntobebreastfed.com. I'm Marie Biancuzzo, and I promise that I'll help you to cut through the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding next Monday, same time, same channel. In the meanwhile, remember, (laughs) supplementation is not normal. Your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuzo next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. 